Hi everyone and welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Property Investment Podcast. I'm your host Ziv Nakajima again and today we'll give you a quick rundown on the property purchase process itself. Now bear in mind that this is just an overview of the process to give you a rough idea of what to expect um, every step of the way, what's involved. Uh, so you We'll break it all down and provide more insights, tips, and tricks in future podcasts, so stay tuned. First thing to do would be to research the area in which you're purchasing. Uh, make sure it's got a reasonable tenant base to support your future vacancies. We've spoken in uh, previous podcasts about Japan's declining population, which means that smaller villages and towns are often dying out and conglomerating into larger metropolitan centers. So you want to make sure that this area has a stable or rising population and that it has a reasonably robust economy with at least two main industries featuring in it to make sure that these tenants can actually afford to pay the rent. Naturally, blue-collar cities often have more problematic tenants. So unless you're an experienced property investor with a well-hedged portfolio, you may want to stick to the bigger, safer, white-collar cities for a start, even if it does mean lower yields then get a bit more adventurous on the edges of your portfolio. Uh, most people go for something like 60 to 80% safe and stable, reasonably low yields, 20 to 40% um, higher yields, slightly riskier locations. So really depending on your risk appetite and on the rest of your holdings in other countries, investment categories, um, you may go either way. Once you've confirmed the area is reasonably stable, you'll also want to have a quick browse of property websites, try to get an idea of how many vacancies are listed for rent in the building that you're considering. If there are no vacancies, which is a good sign, anyway, try to compare similar properties in the area and make sure what the average rent being asked for is. This will tell you what to expect if and when your tenant moves out next, as far as vacancy times and estimated rent is. Because Japan, as we've mentioned, economy has been in deflationary cycle between 1990 to 2012, you'll often find that the current rent your tenant is paying, if the property is now tenanted, is much higher than the average rent for similar properties. So as we discussed in the last podcast, when we had a closer look at Japanese tenants and tenancies, typical Japanese tenants prefer not to move unless they absolutely have to, and they'd almost never ask for a rent reduction even if the average rent is lower than when they moved in. So you want to do a quick projection on estimated yield drops if and when, when you have to get a new tenant. And obviously a new tenant, you'll be charging the average rent if you want to get one. So run those numbers. Um, make sure that you're comfortable with whatever happens if and when you have to charge the actual average rent. Then you want to make sure the property that you're purchasing is within 10 minutes walk to the nearest train or subway station. Otherwise, again, it may be difficult to find tenants if and when it becomes vacant again. There are some exceptions to this rule. So, for example, if the nearest station is the city's main transportation hub, a 15-minute walk may be acceptable because that gives you access to bullet trains, to a lot of buses, to quite a few train and subway lines. Um, otherwise, if you're buying a large condo unit or a small house which comes with parking, might be more attractive to larger families. Again, the, the actual walking distance to the station might not matter that much in those cases. But otherwise, as a rule, 10 minutes walk to the nearest train or subway station should be a rule of thumb. In the future, when we start reviewing some case studies, we'll see what can happen if you don't follow this rule. 
Um, for now, just take our word for it. So let's assume for a moment that you found the property that you want to buy. We won't get into uh, too many details as to how you found it at this stage. You might have enlisted the help of a local real estate broker, buyer's agent like ourselves. You may have done the actual legwork leg and, and tracked down an attractive property that you're interested in. Whichever the case, you know what it is that you're aiming to buy. You've submitted your offer, which has been accepted. Again, something we'll go more deeply into in the future. So what happens next? Well, the first thing that happens is that you'll start receiving huge amounts of paperwork, which the Japanese love with a passion. We're talking dozens, if not hundreds of pages, which include things like the building specs, construction reports, building management company rules and regulations, summaries of owner co-op meetings, city planning maps, floor plans, renovation history, renovation plans, etc., etc., you then review these documents carefully, which obviously takes some time. You start sending questions and requests for clarifications to the listing agent, who then refers them to the seller if they don't have the information handy. Rinse, repeat, until all parties are fully satisfied and we proceed onwards um, to the uh, purchase process itself. Now, at this point, when you're doing the due diligence and reviewing those documents, there are several things that you want to carefully look into. The first one, assuming that you're buying a, a property that's already tenanted, is obviously the rental history. How long has the tenant been there? How old are they? What's their empl employment status, if any? And that last one might not always be current, since you'll only know what the employment status was when they moved in, but it should give you a better idea of who you're dealing with. Um, have there been any issues with the tenant, such as late or missing payments? Any complaints uh, by the tenant or against the tenant? any maintenance requests that may have not been attended to yet. Try to go back as far as possible if you can, but bear in mind that all, not all landlords keep strict records of this information, so it will not always be available. Now, the next thing to do is look at the building's renovation and repair fund status, what's known in other countries as the sinking fund pool and in Japan as the accumulated funds pool. This is the sum of money collected from all owners over the years that is set aside for any renovation or repairs, which always take place every few years at the very least. You want to correlate this information with the building's renovation history to make sure that those funds are being well managed and that the building is being well maintained. If we're talking about the uh, typical Japanese condominium block, which is built of reinforced concrete, there are two major renovations that need to take place every 15 or 20 years, depending on the age of the building, and these are Renovation of the exterior, which means uh, painting, repairing, re-strengthening the exterior walls themselves. And renovation of the roof, which consists mainly of re-waterproofing it and repairing any damages. These two uh, major items can accumulate into quite substantial amounts. If the building is over five floors uh, high, uh, that's ground floor, which is called the first floor in Japan, and four more floors above it, it will also have an elevator system. Some smaller buildings of three, four floors might have an elevator as well. This is also quite an expensive component of the renovations, and that's also required every 15 or 20 years or so. Now, if you're buying the entire building and not just one of the or, or a few units in it, the sinking fund pool doesn't actually exist. So the owner is responsible to put money aside for all these renovations and repairs. In this case, it's even more important to make sure that the building has been properly and regularly maintained and renovated. 
because from the point of purchase onwards, all of these expenses will be coming straight out of your pocket. Now, if you're only buying one unit or more in a co-owned building, you want to make sure that the building's renovation history correlates with the accumulated funds pool. That means that if the pool is depleted, it should be reflected in major renovations performed over the last decade or so. Or alternatively, if these big items haven't been done in a while, uh, you want to make sure that there's enough money in the funds pool to take care of them if and when they do come up. If the answer is no to both of these questions, meaning there is no money in the funds pool and there have been no large renovations in the last decade, it's quite likely that the building management company uh, in charge of these renovations and repairs ha hasn't done a very good job, in which case you'll want to either renegotiate the price to compensate for the risk involved, or maybe even skip the deal altogether. The reason being, once these big renovations do need to be done, if there isn't enough money in the pool to cover them, the building management company will need to take out a loan to cover it, which means that they'll be raising the monthly fees collected from each individual owner, or they'll ask each owner to pay a one-off fee to cover the work that needs to be done. Either way, that could mean a significant drop in your returns. So you want to make sure that you're covered for it. Now, once you've performed all of this due diligence, you're usually good to go. In Japan, you'll almost always be buying through a realtor. Um, there are very few direct sales. And these guys will always provide their in-house or partner property lawyer, or as they're called here, judicial scriveners, shihoshoshi. These guys will perform all the title deed checks. They'll check all legal checklists on your behalf. And, and they're very reliable. They'll, they'll also tell you which documentation you as the buyer need to provide. Normally that will include some photo ID, uh, a few pages confirming your intent to purchase the property, uh, your address certificate, etc. That would usually be about it, um, but the situation might change slightly. Um, different property lawyers uh, might have different, uh, different requests. Now, after the purchase, you'll want to get an insurance policy, which is very cheap in Japan, um, covers all natural disasters. And depending on the size of your portfolio, you may want to hire an accountant because, as we mentioned in the past, you can claim pretty much everything, including the price of the property itself. Um, you'll want to put a property manager in place, assuming that you're not going to manage the, properly, the property yourself, which is usually not the case in Japan as well. Um, and that should be about it. Are you ready and you're good to go? Now, do tune in next week uh, where we're going to be interviewing Mr. Sadaisu, an accountant who uh, can give us a bit more information about taxes involved in individual or corporate ownership, um, the costs and maintenance price of setting up a, a, a company in Japan if you do need that sort of service. We're going to talk a little bit about um, the ability of uh, foreigners to get finance and mortgages in Japan for investment purposes. So promises to be a very interesting podcast uh, next week. Tune in then. Do subscribe if you enjoy the content. And until that time, happy investing.